Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. All righty, all righty. Good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Thursday morning. Nothing but sunshine, peaches, and cream here in greater Cincinnati. Oh, boy, I got this on today. Here I was. There we go. Technology! Casey, Paul, good morning. How are you, Tom? Well, I was great. I mean, I felt I was very confident, felt good, strong. Normally don't eat breakfast before I came in, ate it today. So, you know, a little, little energized, what, what ready to go. What did you have today? I had one of those UDF sausage, egg, and cheese biscuits today. Ooh. Sounds good. They're putting those, um, those big heating, uh, rip, not a refrigerator. You know what I'm saying, though. Yeah. It looks like a refrigerator, but it's heated, whatever they call it. Uh, and that's a big push they have going on right now. So they've got all these different choices. Uh, for breakfast in the morning, and I thought today, you know what? I'm going to try one of these things. Fantastic. So anyway, uh, we welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers. We come your way 10A to high noon, Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on Chatterbox Sports. You can find us on YouTube, streaming live every day, Chatterbox Sports page. Same thing over on Facebook, Chatterbox Sports page, where you can download us in podcast form. Just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Now, you know where I'm going with this, right? Please tell me you know where I'm going with this. Because I thought of this when I was writing this, and I thought it was pretty clever, at 5.30 A. Just woke up. Knew I wasn't going back to bed. So I'm like, all right, something clever. Eh, Maybe not. This mantra is Reds baseball. You jump out to an early lead. You have one of your young starters pitch a good five, six, even seven innings. Offense never really kicks in the door when it has a chance early in the game. And then naturally the bullpen blows it up. That was exactly what happened again. In Atlanta last night. Hunter Green for the first time in three starts. Very good last night. Six innings, three runs, ten strikeouts, no walks. He was good. Although it should be noted. The offense gave him the lead twice. And he promptly gave it up. It happened then for a third time to the bullpen. So when all was said and done. The Braves win it on an eighth inning home run by Eduardo Rosario. That kid's a good player. And has been for a long time. 5-4 the final. The Reds were swept in the three-game series in Atlanta. And went 1-5 and on their road trip. No rest for the weary, as they say. Team is back on the home front tonight. A four-game series starts against those fighting Phils. And for the first time this season, the Reds are in the basement of the National League Central. Nick Lodolo will try and change that. Was there a reaction to that from the peanut gallery? Did I hear something? I just... Ugh. That's tough. Boys, you knew it was a matter of time. Yeah. I I mean, come on. Come on. Although I still think they're better than Pittsburgh, but we'll see. Nick Lodolo starts tonight. Bailey Falter starts for the Phils. That sounds like a fraternity brother name, doesn't it? Bailey Falter. No, actually, that would be more one of Paul's uh, liberal, elite, private high school friends. 
from greater Washington, D.C. That's me. <laughs> First pitch tonight at 640. I think tickets are available. <laughs> the extraordinary Tampa Bay Rays just keep on rolling. After last night's 9-7 win over Boston, the Raves moved to 12-0 on the year. That's one shot of tying the best start in Major League history. In fact, going all the way back to 1900. They had their best starter, theoretically, go down with an injury. So what do they do? Oh, just call some 22-year-old number one prospect, guy named Taj Bradley. He goes five innings, punches out eight, gets a win in his Major League debut. They will have a chance to get that 13th straight win in the series finale at home today against the Red Sox. Does Betfred have an over-under on the attendance of that game today to tie a major league record? Uh, I'm putting it at 11. Maybe 12,000. I don't think they have an attendance one, but... Yeah, I don't think they have an attendance one. But if you were curious, Tampa Bay Rays are favored by minus 240. Pretty, pretty significant. And... Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can get the win. Game's at 110. I don't know if you were going to say that or not, but it's at 110 if anyone was interested in watching them make history possible. 110. Tampa Bay has homered in every game. Has 30 home runs in 12 games, which makes the Rays one of three teams ever to hit 30 or more home runs over the first 12 games in a season, and they have outscored their opponents so far this year. Think about this, 92 to 27. Texas Rangers star shortstop. Corey Seager is out indefinitely with a severe hamstring injury. Seager was injured while running to second base on an opposite field double on Tuesday night. NBA play-in games last night. We start in Toronto, where the Chicago Bulls rallied from 19 points down to beat the Raptors 109-105. Zach Levine scored 30 of his 39 in the second half to lead the comeback. The Raptors were 18 of 36. 18 of 36. These are the best players in the world. It's called a free throw. Nobody in your face. Nobody with their hand in your face. Nobody guarding you. 18 of 36 from the free throw line. The most misses in an NBA elimination game since 1969. Now, they say a big reason they were missing free throws. Did you see this? Was the screaming of nine-year-old D.R. DeRozan. She's the daughter of former Raptor turned bull DeMar DeRozan. Let's see this. This was her last night. DeMar DeRozan. And here's the voice you're hearing when Raptors shoot. She's screaming. <laughs> that time it didn't work. <laughs> hey, it's the thought that counts. Trying to help Dad. She was on television more than her dad was <laughs> last night. Well, you know what's funny is I, I, uh, <laughs> I was not. I did not watch one second of this game, and I was checking Twitter throughout it to try and stay updated and see what was going on. 
and I kept seeing her name pop up on my timeline, and I, I was thinking to myself, did, did they give Damar a nickname? Who is this? What's going on? Then went back after the game and saw the replay and saw the, uh, the highlight of it and saw this. This is fantastic. This is great stuff. It is pretty funny. I, I won't lie. I think it's funny that she's doing, doing it on purpose for her dad, her dad's sake, right? I mean, yeah. But that's where her dad made his career. Oh, build his career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great player up there. But now with the Bulls, and they win last night. So Chicago next plays Miami tomorrow night for the final spot in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. In the other play-in game last night, a bit of a shocker. Oklahoma City beats New Orleans 123-118. OKC faces Minnesota tomorrow night for the final spot in the Western Conference playoffs. By the way, I got to tell you, I know the guy's a freak athlete. Does Zion Williamson ever play? No. No. No, he's, he doesn't. I not. mean, does he ever get on the court? No. No. He's always hurt. He's always hurt. It's not quite the Kyrie, but he never plays. Dude, Kyrie has had 8,000 oh. time percent better career than Zion Williamson. At yeah, least Kyrie's on the floor. Is he? Well, no, the only reason he wasn't on the floor before was because of all your friends and the COVID thing up oh, in there New York. There was a lot more to it than well, that. Yeah, believe me, when he plays, the guy's a stud. Zion oh, yeah. never plays. Never plays. And we don't even know if he's good. He, no, we, we don't. We, we got no idea. idea. No, no idea. idea. Oh, I think we know he's good. I mean, uh, he's good. I'll give him that. But, I mean, good Lord. I mean, they're talking about giving him some max deal. and we, I wouldn't give him... $50. And, I, and it's not a knock on a kid. He's probably a great kid. But good Lord, I mean, you're trying to build a franchise around the guy. He was a number one pick in the draft, and you can't even get him to play. He didn't play last night. Football news, another one of your good friends, Jeff Bezos, is not going to bid on your team, Paul, the Washington Commanders. I'll tell you what, you, get, you give me a lot of good friends in high places. Well, Bezos is, you know, he, you know he's big league operator. Uh, he had serious interest in buying a team, apparently, but claims that current owner, of all guys, your guy, Dan Snyder, oh, yeah. blocked him at every turn. <laughs> I couldn't resist. That was too easy. Bezos owns the Washington Post, among other things, which published multiple investigative pieces on Snyder and a corrupt culture inside the Commander's franchise. All right, coming up on the show today, football talk, a little bit of that. We had none yesterday. We're going to dive into the Indianapolis Colts. They're a very interesting team right now. They have a new coach. Uh, they are looking for a new quarterback. Nick Kosmider, uh or Jake Arthur will join us uh, from Indianapolis. And then we're going to talk about the Broncos. I mean, you talk about a mess. Last year, bring in Nathaniel Hackett. Out he goes. They bring in Wilson. Did not play well. But now Sean Payton is running the ship. And we'll talk to Nick Kosmider from The Athletic about Denver at 11 o'clock. Tracy Jones, of course, is alongside as well. And that comes up at 1130. All right, boys. We start with certainly uh, it was nice to see Hunter Green pitch a good game last night. Yeah. Uh, you know, his M.O. through his first two starts has been good in the first inning, and then he'll hit a major bump in the road in the second inning. That's been the deal. Now, in his first two starts, the second inning 
proved to be, you know, he just fell off a cliff. Um, but last night, you know, base is loaded. He's facing some, you know, good hitters. Uh, and, you know, he found a way to limit the damage. He ends up going six innings, throws right around 100 pitches. He doesn't walk anybody. He's hard to hit. And he strikes out 10. So, that's a positive step. That's the, the one solace that we, you know, we keep bringing up if we can even give the, this team any solace. But, yes, that's well, the one positive I guess we can take from this game. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that he showed that he can, you know, it's only his third start, right? So, it's not like we can just start casting stones right away. But he needed to show that he could play this game for sure. So unlike the night before where the first pitch I watched was the Reds home run to go ahead, or the Jonathan India base hit single into right field. Yeah. Last in, the, night, in the 10th inning. Yeah. Yeah. Last night's first pitch was the Braves go ahead home run. By Rosario. By Rosario. You know, Brutal. I, I got to tell you, I mean, I, look, and there are people who can call me crazy, and, and I don't watch enough of him to know, but I, I'll tell you one guy to me, and I sit there and I watch him, and I'm thinking to myself, they're paying that guy the kind of money that they're paying him is Matt Olson. This guy is a strikeout machine. And the Braves just gave him a ton of cash. Now, he's put up some good numbers. I know he's been an all-star back when he was with Oakland. But I tell you, that Braves team, you know, offensively, they've got some players now. I mean, there are a lot of people think that team is, is an odds-on favorite to go to the World Series, and you can understand why. They have got, especially the two young guys, Ozu. I mean, um, Albies and uh, why yeah. am I drawing a blank? Acuna. Yeah, I mean, they 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 have got some, and Rosario's just a good player, good hitter, tough out. Uh, that's a nice team. You know, in the chat, inevitably. Every day, we're going to get at least two people that say, I feel so sorry for David Bell. You feel sorry for the guy? No. Not I mean, really. do you really feel sorry for him? I don't feel sorry for any professional coach, ever. <laughs> I don't care what the team is doing. That's, that's my manager before people in the chat start getting pissed off You're at good. me. But... No, I don't give him any – you're a professional, so make the team better, please. Paul, you look like you're debating that question. You look like you're debating that question. I don't feel bad for him. I don't know if he deserves all the flack that he gets, but I don't feel bad for him. Do you really think that he gets a lot of flack? I don't think he gets any flack. At least not – not I don't think he the... gets any flack from anybody. The only conversation I hear about David Bell is, can we make a fair judgment or assessment about what kind of a manager he is based on the players and the talent that he has? Which is a fair critique. Yeah. Although one could make the argument that, you know, his first couple of years when he took over this team, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they go to the playoffs? Uh, the first year he took over? The shortened season, they go to the playoffs and they did. get shut out. Yeah. Two games in a row in Atlanta, yeah. right? That was and another and they had a Cy Young Award winner. Yeah, right. I mean, they had a pretty good team. Yeah. Okay, and they were a 500 team. So again, I'm not drawing any conclusions, but those are just the facts. Um, Sir Boy Wonder wants to know: with the Phillies in town, 
have we followed up with Nick Castellanos about coming on the show? You may remember he had originally told us he was going to do it. Uh-oh. And he changed his mind. Okay. He's entitled to change his mind. If he wants to do it, do it. If he doesn't want to do it, no problem. No problem. Uh, somebody makes a comment in here uh, with Castellanos in town. Don't throw him a fastball or somebody should be uh, designated for assignment immediately. Three sliders in the dirt. He goes back to the dugout. Castellanos has said that um, he is trying to become a more patient hitter this year. He's good. He's a good hitter. He does chase a lot of pitches out of strike zone, but he, he's a good player. Not a great player. He's a good player. Yeah. And the Phillies, by the way, are not going to have – we know Hoskins is out for the year. They're in town starting tonight, as I mentioned. Um, Bryce Harper is taking ground balls at first base. They're going to get him back sooner or later. And uh, there's talk about him coming back and just playing first base. And he will make a difference. But, I mean, I think – I don't know if this is where you're going next, but are you going to talk about Joey Votto? You mean what he's doing in the minor leagues? Yeah. Are you worried? Are you nervous at all for that? I, I was I, – I, I tell you, you know, outside of the – Slow start. Look, if you go back, and that's what everybody says, slow start. You know, that's fine. I'm going to check something here real quick. Um, big big homestand here with the Rays and the Phillies. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. Big time. Uh, but there was one thing I was checking here uh, a minute ago, and, and this isn't the beat-up Joey Votto segment. I'm not interested in doing that at all. But you asked me if I was worried about the guy. And, you know, I go back to in 2018 where he that year in 503 at-bats hit a total of 12 home runs. This is 2018 now. We're talking five years ago, right? Mm -hmm. He hits 284. Led the league in on-base percentage at 417. Next year, 142 games. 525 at-bats. He hits 260 with 15 home runs and 47 runs batted in in 142 games. That's 19. 20, he hit 220 in 54 games. Now, he had the big bounce back year in 2021. Where he hit 36 home runs, batted 266, the on-base percentage was around 375, and he knocked in 99. And then last year was brutal. In fairness to him, he was hurt. But he hit 200 in 91 games. I have been concerned about Joey Votto's offensive production going back to 2018. He's had one good year in the last four years. Now, one was a COVID year, and last year he was hurt. This year so far... Uh, down in the minor leagues, he has struck out 20 times in 40 at-bats, 33 at-bats, 20 times, uh, and has, I think, three or five base hits. You know, again, I'm always going to give a guy like him uh, the benefit of the doubt because I know how hard he works. I know how much he cares, uh, but he's 39 years old, and sooner or later, father time will catch up. There are very few things certain in his life. Death, liberals will tax you till you die, and that Father Time will catch up with an athlete. Or catch up with all of us, no matter what we do. And I'm a little concerned about where all this is going. Are you worried about Joey Votto? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think when you get to this point in your career and how old you are, I don't think that this is something that you should just take lightly. I know it's, again, again though, it's a small sample size. I, I'm really wrestling with this. I don't know. I, don't I think know, a lot of people are. I think that's a fair statement. I, I, I really don't know what to make of this because it could be just... The other thing we don't know is if he's trying to do anything at AAA different. You know, is he down there working on something where he's saying, well, I'm fine striking out because I'm working on something right, right now. Like, I, all, all I see here is that he struck. I see a number and a total. I haven't seen one pitch. I haven't seen anything of how he's playing. I haven't heard anything about how he's playing. So I don't know if he's maybe doing something that he's saying to himself, well, you know, it's, it's okay, but... I've been hurt, so I want to change this and this with my swing, and it's going to take a little time to figure it out. That could be what he's doing, or he could be really struggling. We just don't know. But the guy's almost 40 coming off of whatever. A know. major surgery. Yeah. So. Major surgery. And Everett is always a voice of reason in the chat where he says, hey, look, he's going to be 40. He's coming off major surgery. Worried isn't the right word. Having realistic expectations is a better mindset. I think it's a little deeper than that, though. I, I really do. I think it's an accurate point, Everett. Um, but I think it's what are the Reds going to do with Votto? They can't leave him on the AAA team all year long. That's not going to happen. They're paying him $25 bucks a year, and he's not staying down there. Right. It's the last year of his contract. They're going to bring him up. But what are they going to do with him when they bring it up if he continues to struggle? I know this is all speculation. He might come up here and hit 550 for two months. I have no idea. Neither do you. But you can rest assured that there are conversations um, going on uh, about how are we going to handle this if, if this doesn't go well. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm – worried for the guy and i don't know baseball very well but as any casual fan could tell you just the the age the injury the type of surgery it just doesn't uh look like it's going to end well so i would caution a lot of the fans especially our fans in our chat uh, i think a lot of us um, would consider us very not diehard reds fans but very passionate reds fans um, most people with major surgery, especially when it is so vital to the game. I mean, I saw something. I like couldn't even hold a bat last year. He couldn't grip a bat. That I don't know, guys. That's that's really tough. That's rough. Um, it looks like we got Jake Arthur. I'm gonna just set him up really quickly, Tom. Um, if you have any final thoughts on. Uh, no, I, I, I'm just like everybody else. I'm kind of interested to see where this uh, ends up, where this ends up going, because it's going to be uh, really, really interesting. You know, by the way, one piece of news, which has a local tie, which is a fantastic story. Speaking of football, have you heard of the, the, the name of the company Vicus? You know that name? No. Okay. Vicus is a manufacturing company right here in, um, in Cincinnati, right? Uh, and, and they develop all kinds of different technologies and so on and so forth. Uh, I got to make sure, you know what, L let me hold that thought for a second. I'm going to hold that thought uh, before we go any further here. 
to see if this is indeed the same company. Because I know there was a company um, that was doing this for years and years. I'll hold off on this thought until we get to a commercial break. Because I'd just seen this. Anyway, uh, the first quarterback-specific helmet designed to help reduce concussions has been approved by the NFL and the NFLPA. That news just came uh, down the pike a little while ago. Um, And, you know, all the data. um, V-I-C-I. Nope, I got this wrong here. V-I-C-I-S. Because I know there was a guy here in town that was uh, really involved in these helmets, and Notre Dame was using their helmets. I was trying to find out if this is the same company. I'll have to look into it, see if it's a Cincinnati company. I thought it was, but I could be wrong. Um, no, they're in Indiana. Okay. Um, are we? Do we have them? We, Casey's still setting them up, but we should be good. All right. Okay. We're ready to go? Yep, we're ready. All right. Kind enough to join us, Jake Arthur, Deputy Editor of Colts on FN, co-host of Locked on Colts. Jake, how are you, young man? I am awesome. It's a busy time of year. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Uh, Look, every time we uh, focus in on a team, and obviously today with you, the Indianapolis Colts, just up the road. I'm going to be in your town on uh, Saturday. Um, we, We asked the three questions. Where have you been? Where are you now? And where are you going? Last year, and you could probably sit here for the next three hours and walk us through what happened last year with the Indianapolis Colts. I, that, that must have been insane trying to cover that team and all it went through last season. Yeah, absolutely, because they just kind of fell off a cliff out of nowhere. And really, the issue started at the end of the 2021 season. Uh, for a long stretch there, they were a team that no one wanted to play. Um, even though Carson Wentz wasn't necessarily playing his best ball, you know, Jonathan Taylor was on fire. The defense was doing great. Um, they were, if they weren't winning, they were competing with the best of the best. And then they made a lot of adjustments last offseason to try and combat all those issues that kicked them out of playoff contention. And they just came out so uninspired. And it was it was so odd to see them come out and just so often not look prepared to play at all. Uh, They were overmatched and outcoached on a regular basis, Uh, but they had so much of the same talent that was a playoff team uh, just a couple years before. Uh, So it was really head scratching. Um, You saw the the head coaching move, you know, that that was very obvious, maybe not so much during the season, uh, but I I guess they felt it was getting so bad they had to do something. Did you agree with Wright getting let go? Ultimately, yes. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily would have done it right in the middle of the season, uh, especially not for like Jeff Saturday, for example. Uh, They did have someone in-house that was a really good idea that I think most people internally wanted. That was Bubba Ventrone, uh, their special teams coordinator. Really no one saw the Jeff Saturday thing coming. Uh, So for that, I absolutely would have held on to Reich. But no, this... The, the locker room still very much cared for him and wanted to play for him. But I think maybe the message just kind of went stale um, because all, all of the issues that they needed to correct seemed very obvious. But 
they kept having the same things pop up. They kept showing up unprepared to play and just digging themselves huge holes and something had to change. You know, it seems like, and we'll get to the future at the quarterback position here in a minute, but it just seems like, um, you know, many of us can just use it as a line, but man, the impact is staggering. And I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but when Andrew Luck walks away, uh, devastation on a franchise. You know, it'd be like Burrow quitting tomorrow. I don't know anybody around here that can even conceive of that, but that's exactly what happened to the Colts. Yeah, it was it was earth-shattering because, you know, they he'd been dealing with those injuries and some issues since like 2015. And so even when he was playing, he was banged up and then he missed that whole season in 2017 and then 2018. You finally got a healthy Andrew Luck. You got to pair him with this new head coach in Frank Reich, who is a quarterback whisperer. And they had an awesome season. Uh, they went back to the playoffs. Uh, Reich looked, you know, every bit as advertised as the new head coach. Luck arguably had his best season of his career. And then you get this just calf injury, lower leg injury that, you know, it, it happened early in the offseason around this time, really. Or uh, they, they at least started talking about it then. And he missed a lot of the on-field stuff. And you, you assume, okay, it's just a small little calf thing. Sure. He'll be ready by uh, training camp. And then it kept lingering and lingering. And then they classified it as different things. And then ultimately, it, it resulted in him saying, I just can't do this anymore. Um, it had taken a, a toll on him mentally just so badly that as much as he loved football, he just wasn't willing to, to go through all the rehab and, you know, coming back from injuries that he'd been having to do for the last several years. And then you look at kind of then the, the direction the franchise took. It, it just seems like, Jake, that they – and they've got a lot of smart people up there, uh, and, and it's been a great franchise for a long time. But it seemed like they were bringing in guys that were a year or two years or whatever it might be too late, too long, right? I mean, you know, you go through the Philip Rivers thing, you go through the – um, who am I drawing a blank on? I know Matt Ryan, but there's somebody else they brought in Carson there. Wentz. Carson Wentz. And, yeah. and I'm just thinking, I, I mean, I guess you can't, you, you can't blame them for not trying. Is that fair to say? They might have made a mistake, but at least they were trying. Yeah, absolutely. And something they have finally admitted to after last season uh, was they probably put unrealistic expectations on how close they were to being, you know, a perennial deep playoff threat because Andrew Luck spoiled them so much throughout his career. He he inherited a two and 14 team and turned them into 11 and five in a playoff team. And then as, as soon as you ever see any, any time with him, not in the lineup, it looks like one of the worst teams in the league. And so it really showed you how much Andrew Luck was, was the difference in that. Um, but now that they, they, we're always after luck retired and you know they kind of weathered the storm with the jacoby Brissett stuff they assumed that they were still that really good team and they were just a steady presence at quarterback away and it just showed you that if things weren't perfect around that quarterback that it was not going to be good now philip rivers that actually was a pretty good season they got back to the playoffs and about midway through the season uh, rivers had a really good command of the offense and you know, was playing really steadily the, the second half of the year. They even should have beat the Bills in that wild card round. Uh, but then the Carson Wentz thing happened, and that got really, really ugly. And then 
it all came to a head this year with with Matt Ryan, who definitely did appear to be uh, at the end of of the line. You know, you see he's he's still not with the team right now. So uh, the Colts did not have enough around these guys necessarily to make it work. And unless you're going to get an alien or some sort of perfect quarterback, it's just not going to pan out how they thought it would. Okay, let's talk about now what has happened and where the team is today. And here we sit two weeks from today out from the draft, and we'll get to that here in a second. Uh, Shane Steichen, your thoughts on him uh, being brought in from Philadelphia to take over as head coach. Good move? I think so. Uh, it, uh, It definitely seemed to match the direction they need to go with their roster and everything, too. Because uh, they clearly, you know, we just talked about it. They need that young, fresh face at quarterback that's going to hopefully lead them for the next dozen years. And Steichen is kind of known as an offensive whiz kid. Uh, he has succeeded with all different types of quarterbacks. Uh, you know, he he helped Justin Herbert be the rookie of the year. Uh, Jalen Hurts turned into, you know, if, if Patrick Mahomes wasn't a thing, uh, Jalen Hurts would have been the MVP under Steichen last year. Um, so getting a quarterback and getting a head coach like Steichen who can help get him up to speed and get him ready to play. Not only that, but maximize his talent as well and help him reach that decade, dozen years of, of greatness that they're hoping for. Uh, he, was, he was the best option out there for that. Okay, now yesterday Steichen is asked, it was a very short answer, but there were a lot of rumblings around there. Let's start with this. Um, there have been rumblings that, that there, there might be something to Lamar Jackson coming to Indianapolis. Now, Steichen pretty much shut that down without really shutting it down for sure yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think his line was, uh, we're focused on the guys that are here in the building right now. Well, of course, the next quarterback is not here in the building right now either. Do you think there is any chance the Colts sign Lamar Jackson? Yeah, so he was he was asked about that, and he said they're focused on the draft and the guys that are in the building. So I, I think the Lamar Jackson thing is toast, at least for now. Uh, things can develop in the draft where if they don't come away with a quarterback that they like and, and they're sitting there and Gardner Minshew is their quarterback after the draft, maybe they revisit it. Uh, but, you know, the Odell Beckham Jr. thing in Baltimore, it sure seems like that was a move to keep Lamar there. You know, the Lamar and, and Odell Beckham, uh, it, it seemed like they had at least spoken about it. So uh, I think the the Lamar Jackson thing here is is totally dead. Um, I don't think it had a strong possibility to begin with. Uh, there's a huge cro- contract to dish out, and a good portion, if not all of it, needs to be guaranteed. Uh, there's there's a lot of financial stuff to that that I'm not sure the Colts would be willing to do for someone who wasn't a homegrown talent. You know, they don't know Lamar Jackson yet, so that's a big financial commitment. And then the, the couple first-round picks you would yep. have to give up. Um, so I just don't, I don't see that as a possibility. Now, I do think it's been discussed in there, in the building. I, I think they have explored that option. Uh, they've probably even reached out to Baltimore to see, you know, what's it going to take for you not to match or for us to work out some sort of trade, like a sign-and-trade or something. Um, but ultimately, I, I do not think it's something they're going to pursue any further. Okay, so now you move to the draft, and the Colts sit at four, which is a really interesting sort of delicate spot if you're looking for a quarterback. Uh, You know, look, nobody has a crystal ball. Most people feel like right now 
the most polished two figure to go one, two in the draft in any particular order, C.J. Stroud of, out of Ohio State and Bryce Young out of Alabama. Um, but then you get into there are a lot of people out there that love the potential upside of a Richardson. Uh, Arizona picks in front of Indy at three. There's been uh, uh, reports that as many as six or eight teams have talked to the Cardinals who are looking for a quarterback uh, to take um, to trade for that number three pick. So now you start getting into the Anthony Richardson sort of Will Levis um, Herndon a little bit is in that mix. Well, how, how do you think that whole thing plays out if you were a betting man? Uh, so I think the Colts, you know, they've done their due diligence. I, I ultimately think while a lot of us who cover them and a, and a lot of the fans want to see them be aggressive, I do think they'd be content with staying at four and just seeing what falls to them. Um, knowing how picky they are about quarterback evaluation and other positions, I, they've, they're going to have someone they feel strongest about. To me, I think C.J. Stroud checks the most boxes of any of these quarterbacks. Uh, so I actually uh, did a thing on our show the other day. There's a scenario where he could be available to them, especially like number three, if they wanted to move up. You know, Arizona doesn't need a quarterback. The Colts do. Moving up from four to three, as much as the Colts don't like to give up draft capital, it's not going to take a whole lot to move up one spot. Now, if there's a bidding war and you get someone like the Raiders who are a little later down or the Buccaneers or someone who wants to move up, you know, that they could sweeten the pot further than what the, the Colts are, are willing to dish up. But ultimately, I think if unless C.J. Stroud is available to them, I think the Colts preferred uh, preferred option would be someone like Anthony Richardson. Okay. Uh, the, the Colts, and especially with Chris Ballard at GM, they, they love these balls of clay that they can get into their building and turn into whatever they need them to be and help maximize their potential. Uh, Richardson tested as one of the best quarterbacks of all time at the combine. The Colts love athleticism. They value it. it as long as the kid's got the right mental makeup and he's sure. a freak athlete, he's a perfect candidate to go to the Colts. And um, especially when you have Steichen, who's someone who can kind of iron out the flaws in a guy's game and maximize uh, their, their potential, you know, you, you look at what he did with Jalen Hurts last year, and you see a guy like Anthony Richardson, who's incredibly athletic, has a strong arm. That looks like a, a really strong marriage there. So I, I think Richardson screams a Chris Ballard type of quarterback. Uh, luckily for the Colts, all four, all really all five, if, if you consider Hendon Hooker, all these guys have really good heads on their shoulder. I've, I've been around for media availability for all five of them. I've, I've seen a couple of them speak a, multiple times. So luckily all these guys have the work ethic they're looking for. They're all adequate athletes. They all have decent arms. So there's really not a bad scenario for the Colts in this all. You know, when you look at, at, at pieces around, uh, there are some guys to like on that Colts team. Uh, I think we all agree when he's healthy that Taylor is an outstanding back. He can run it well. He can mm -hmm. catch it out of the backfield. You look at Pittman, who caught, I think, 99 passes last season, right? Not a lot of yards, but, I mean, you know, they, they were having a hard time staying consistent at the quarterback position. Paris Campbell uh, is an, an outstanding, potentially outstanding player. So they've got some guys. Uh, offensive line-wise, would, would, would that group – protect a young quarterback how do you feel about that group 
Yeah, so the Colts were pretty flawed in their thinking of the offensive line when they went into last year. Uh, they had Matt Pryor in at left tackle and Danny Pinter in at right guard. They had trusted those guys as backup, you know, rotational utility linemen the year before, and both guys did really well. Uh, so they kind of let them be the leaders in the clubhouse at those positions going into last year, but they did not provide adequate competition behind those guys whatsoever. So they were the, they were plugged in in the starting line all off season. And then when the bullets started flying and the season started, it went terribly. Uh, luckily they did have a couple young options they could turn to. Uh, they put Bernard Ryman in at left tackle and then Will Fries in at right guard. Uh, it was shaky at first, but by the midway point, you know, of the season and later into the season, uh, the offensive line finally started to kind of hold up their end of the bargain. They weren't great, but they were passable. Uh, before the offensive line was just impossible to play behind. They turned someone like Jonathan Taylor, who set the league on fire the year before, into almost a non-factor. Uh, any quarterback behind that line never stood a chance. Uh, but they got a great deal better at the end of the season. I think the starting five that they ended the season with is probably going to be what starts this next season. And while that is probably fine, you know, I, I think they'll survive that way. I hope they know that, you know, last season can't repeat itself. If they have this new quarterback they want to protect, they have to make sure there is competition on that offensive line. The best five have to win. They can't just think these five guys are good. They, they have got to get more competition in there. Otherwise, they they risk having the same fate that they did last year, which at times was unwatchable football. Well, we can't thank you enough, Jake, uh, for your time and your breakdown of the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, countdown is on for the draft. Colts are going to be an interesting team to watch. That is for sure. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Jake Arthur, kind enough to join us uh, today to talk about the Indianapolis Colts. If you had to pick one or the other, if you had to pick the third quarterback, yeah. if it comes to that, Who am I Levis, <clears throat> Richardson, the dark horse being Hooker. A lot of people like that guy. Well, I've been on the Will Levis train since like week two of the college season last year, so I can't it's back tired. off that train now. I know it's tired, but it's like my Daniel Jones thing. You dig in too deep, you can't wow. get off. Wow. Yeah, wow. Good. I like that analogy. That's good. I don't know if that's a good comparison, but. Well, it's not, I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying when you get entrenched in a take. Those two guys are very similar from just a physical, straight physical standpoint. They're big. They're strong. They can run. Perfect. They're, they're both from actually big basketball schools, right? Duke yeah. is Duke and Kentucky. Kentucky. That's right. Perfect. That's right. A lot more there that meets the eye. But I would take Richardson. Well, Phillips. you were on him the first week of the season. I was. When he had a big game, I think they beat Utah right at the end of the year. Was that right? Yep. Utah? Right at the end. Right at the end. And then he went straight south for a long time, as did the Gators. Mm. Yeah, I just – I don't know. I don't think – if I were the Colts, I would trade up or get Lamar if, if you're getting a quarterback, right? Otherwise, just get the best player available and then just tank this year and go get Caleb Williams or, you know, there's a lot of other good quarterbacks. You're saying year. tank this year? Is that what you just said? If you were uh, – if I was the GM, I might try to manipulate it that way, yes. Damn, Minshew's not a terrible option. Minshew? Minshew mania. 
He's not a terrible option. I wish he was here backing up Burrow. I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that. I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. I think he's a good character guy, too. And he's got area down there to live in his uh, uh, RV or whatever it is he does, right? Doesn't he live in an RV right next to the stadium, wherever he plays? I think so. Yeah. Or at least that's what he did. There's plenty of room down there. He could live in a bubble. <laughs> it was a nice little climate control, you know? Keep the RV nice and clean. Not a bad thought. Not now, bad we're going to talk about the um, uh, the Broncos here shortly, but I have to tell you, and I told you this earlier, Casey, before um, we got started here today. Tomorrow, we're going to have Jay Morrison on from The Athletic. Okay, now, Jay Morrison and Paul Daner Jr. normally cover, those two guys do a phenomenal job covering the Bengals. But there was a piece written today and I've got to go back and find this because I read it this morning. There was a fascinating piece done on what the Bengals should do knowing their, um, you know, their challenges that they're going to be facing from a salary standpoint coming up here. Okay, and the premise of the article was, is it smart? You know you're going to pay Burrow. He's going to get a long-term deal. You know you're going to pay Jamar Chase in a year from now. He's going to get a long-term deal, okay? Much of this, almost exclusively this article, dove into where they went to a number of NFL executives, former general managers, and current assistant coaches around the league, none of whom, naturally, would put their names to it, okay? But it was a fascinating article, okay, about with the cap space, Burrow being on a rookie deal, it's been the perfect sort of storm, right? And the Buffalo general manager talked about this after the Bengals eliminated Buffalo, that he envies the situation the Bengals are in. You've got the quarterback on a rookie deal. You've got Higgins on a rookie deal. You've got Chase on a rookie deal. And how the Bills had that until last year when all of a sudden, you know, uh, Allen's deal kicks into 40, 30, 40 million. Same thing with Stephon Diggs. Why are you guys chuckling over there? You know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. All where right. Going. But this article talked about the, the, the two most dangerous playmakers that the Bengals have in their offense, Chase and Higgins, both in line for massive contracts next year. And the challenge of keeping those two and Burrow. Here's what I got out of it. Okay, the most interesting part of this whole thing. Four teams last year. So, so let, let me start with this. Higgins and Chase will each make over $20 million per year if you give them both long-term deals. For sure. So you can have the quarterback around 40 to 50. You would have Chase 20-plus, probably 25-plus. Higgins 20-plus. Okay, so here's the deal. Of the four teams that exceeded $45 million in average annual value to wide receivers last year, only four teams had what the Bengals would be staring at if they signed both Chase and Higgins. Those four teams are. Are you ready for these juggernauts? The Buccaneers. Sub-500 bounced opening round in the playoffs. Cardinals. Huh, brutal. Fired their coach. Dolphins. 
No. The Raiders. No playoffs. None of those four teams won a single playoff game last year, paying wide receivers $45 million or more. In fact, let's drop a little further now. The top 10 teams in that spending category on wide receivers. Okay, the top 10. Only the Eagles and the Jaguars won a postseason game. But then you start digging a little bit. Let's look at the teams that spent a fortune on wide receivers last year. The Chargers. Boy, now there's another juggernaut for you. The Chargers, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, right? $20 million or more for each of those. The Raiders. Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro. The Bucks, Godwin. Evans, right? The Rams, Cooper Cup, Allen Robin, the Seahawks. I'm telling you, boy, we are talking about the very... Have I mentioned the Chiefs? Have I mentioned the Bills? No. Have I mentioned any of those teams? No. Then you get to the Broncos. Their average salary of a wide receiver, $15 million. I only bring all of this up, boys, because I have been the one all along that has said, play it out this year with Higgins, play it out this year, and then just make a monster trade for him to move way up in the draft, win a Super Bowl with him, and then it's time to, to move on. I mean... <clears throat> You're going to disagree with that, Casey. I, no, actually, I'm not going to disagree with you, Tom, because... Here's my I love I love players, right? But I'm not gonna let that cloud my judgment and what the Bengals should do, right? I think it's very clear that teams that pay two number one receivers big time money, we don't even know what the money for T. Higgins is yet. But No, but this clear. article speculated, okay, that basically he was going to be about a $20 million a year guy. And the chase was going to be between 25 and 30. Now, this was based on a lot of numbers and, you know, production, so on and so forth. Not one single person they interviewed for this article, executives, said they would keep all three. Not one. And the thing I found the most interesting of all is, well, you finish your thought, Casey. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think they should keep all three. If you were to keep any of the – if you're going to keep two, you want to keep T and Chase, but – You mean Burrow and Chase. I'm sorry. Burrow and Chase. Sorry. Um, to me, I, I disagree with the article on how much they're going to make. I think T is going to get 25, and I think Chase is going to get 30. I really do. I think they're going to get top market money. Okay. Well, well, they, they, they said the, it was good. So we're roughly close. Yeah. I, I, what I'm getting at is it's going to be really tough to pay both of those guys $55 million just in the receiver room alone. That's a, a fifth of the salary cap just on the receiver room. I mean. What in the hell is so funny? 
You guys are both sitting over there like two schoolgirls <laughs> who are smitten with uh, Bailey sitting up in the third row. Tom, this has been maybe the greatest 20 minutes in the history of the chat of this show. Really? I've been looking. What it, fill me in on what's going on well, here. About, we can get back to this Bengals nonsense in a moment. Well, about 20 minutes ago, A.J. Worse made a comment. We were talking about football and the potential of this show and who could get out on the football field and make some plays. And A.J. Worse said, well, he made a comment about Casey, and he said basically Casey wouldn't be worth much on a football field. He can't block anything. And Casey's response was, don't worry. Watch this. I can block this. He just blocked A.J. out of the chat. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that to A.J.? He's, he's fine. He's here every day, man. Come on. <laughs> he's back. He's fine. He's AJ, you all right? Well, he's got to chime in here, right? We think he's back. All right, so he's I'm back. assuming that after after that comment and after he got banned, all of a sudden, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Derailed. <laughs> Straight in the tank. <laughs> uh, Where is tank. this? Oh, it's it's, 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 it's gone far, now. It's, it's, too, it's far too far. It's too far up the chat now. You can't get back to it. No, I know, but I'm waiting for AJ, who was blocked oh, by might, Casey, to get back in. We don't know where he went. I saw him comment. He came back. Well, he came He's back unblocked. real quick. But yeah. <laughs> it was... I mean, there, right? <laughs> You <laughs> canceled AJ. You blocked him. You did show what a great blocker you are. He was. Boom. Boom. Smash. Boom. That's good stuff. Five minutes out of the chat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shame on you. They're saying, oh, off the bench, according to Sir Boy Wonder, says off the bench believes in censorship. <laughs> dictatorship so who officially blocked him you or paul because paul's taken a lot of heat for this on the Casey. chat I, i'm just i did but paul's been laughing and he, i think they don't uh they don't they don't appreciate they don't. my support for my co-worker aj's in I, the hospital they say having to uh, recover from casey's attacks it's good it's a good few minutes We've built something special in this chat. Let's just hope that it stays that way. There's no doubt about it. But I want, so uh, well, let's get back to this yeah. here for a second, okay? okay? Seriously. Yeah. Uh, because they went on to point out that with Burrow and with Zach Taylor, yeah, right, um, and, and with Callahan and, you know, all, all the moving pieces, everybody's been together, nobody was hired away, that, that they think that, that Higgins is a great playmaker, but, but that a lot of that has to do with the fact that people are so worried about Chase, that you could find somebody else, right, in free agency, or if you want to trade him, move up in the draft, that you could go find another T. Higgins. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I do think that with the right offensive line, with Burrow at quarterback, you have Chase, I think that you could find guys who would have big-time production from those other two wide receiver spots. Boyd's going to leave at the end of the year. Final year, $43 million deal. He's not coming back unless you get him on a, you know, some kind of discount. Yeah. But you want to get a little younger there, and you got to go find a legitimate number two, right? Right. That maybe you don't have to pay $20 million. You can pay $10 million. Yep. Right? 
I agree with but that. The, but the, the, the thing that I found to be most interesting about this story was, you know, the Bengals, and I know this would tick a lot of people off. And it may not be the best for your PR. But one executive did say, the Bengals are not under the gun to sign Burrow to an extension. In fact, they have four years of ownership of Burrow. Basically. Where he plays his fourth year this year. He plays his fifth year next year. You then have two more years to tag him if you wanted to do it. Now, they don't want to do it. It would be a PR nightmare. Right. Okay? And only in those two years that you tag him does he make um, the average of the top five guys in the league, right? So his salary would still jump up whether you sign him to a long-term deal or not. But it was very interesting scenarios, which no one around here, everybody is just assuming that the Bengals will, and, and they're pressuring that they damn sure better sign Burrow to this long-term deal this season, offseason. They don't have to. Right. I mean, back to just to kind of put a nice bow on this because we do have Nick coming in here. Okay. Um, I think what the Bengals will do is end up signing T and, and Burrow. And I think they'll actually get a deal done with Chase. But here's the thing is T is the, the, the key factor here. If his contract is front-loaded, right, and if they they put in a lot of money this year and next year, they still have, like you said, that window of eligibility to pay Burrow very, very small amount of money and Chase because they both have fifth-year options still tied to their name where they don't have to necessarily, like, you know, go out and dump a bunch of money into these guys too soon, right? So, depending on how they structure this and how the timing of all these deals comes through um, is very important, I think, to this whole equation here. But if it were me, I kind of kind of agree with you. I don't know if it's a smart idea to start signing everyone right now. I don't know if that's a good idea just from a cap perspective and to tie in the future years. You know, you're, you're tying yourself up. You're not giving yourself any option to maneuver the cap. So let me get Nick settled in here. And um, Paul, do you have any thoughts on on what the Bengals should do with T and Chase and Burrow? Well, I've, I've said, as I've said a million times, I think that they know what they're doing with Joe. I think I think I, I believe in my head that they know they have an idea, they have a plan. I don't I think that they have shown an ability in the last two years to get these types of deals done, not to the extent in the cap of Joe, but in this in the sense of getting a important deal like this done that they're gonna go out there get they're gonna get it done. They probably already have an idea, they have a plan in place. I, maybe they haven't signed it could I don't want to say it's already done, but we're, we're in a situation here with the Bengals where they have the money, they know they're going to get it done, so now they just got to structure everybody else around them. But Casey made a good point yesterday, and this is something we've heard a lot about. Joe could be also saying, I want 
this, you know, I want T to get done before me. I want, you know, these weapons around me. I want you guys to yeah. go get so-and-so in the draft because I want this. I want to see what the team looks like, and then maybe I help structure my contract around that. You know, we th- those are the intricacies and the mm-hmm. little behind-the-scenes yeah. things that we don't know about that we'll find out about later. And we have no idea how team-friendly any of these guys are going to go. And it could be – it could be – a. F- a thing where this is unprecedented you know it could be something where we sign these guys to very long-term deals because they're gonna stay here and the Bengals want to set a new standard to and well they've already set a new standard in two short years I mean they've been to the AFC championship game two years in a row and they went to the Super Bowl two years ago but I continue to remind you guys you go off the reservation all the time about this great offense If I've said it once, I've said it 5,000 times. Super Bowl two years ago, couldn't put together one drive to kick a field goal and win the game. Last year, Ballyhooed offense couldn't on seven drives in the second half, could not kick a field goal to win the game. All right. Uh, kind enough to join us. And we, 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 hey, look, we were talking about the uh, Colts a little while ago. Now we turn to the Denver Broncos. And uh, Nick Kosmider, we thank you. So uh, please tell me, Nick, uh, we have not met. Please tell me if I pronounce your name correctly. You nailed it. You All nailed right, it. good, good. I feel yeah. good about it. I've done something <laughs> right today. I can tell my wife I've done one thing right today. <laughs> there you go. You know, now, now look, thanks for joining us. Um, you, you cover the Broncos each and every day. And, 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 Whenever we have someone on to talk about a particular team or franchise, we like asking the questions, where has the franchise been? Where is it now? Where is it going? So, yeah, I I thought the Colts were a mess last year. They are in no form or fashion uh, what the Denver Broncos were last year. Uh, That is such a phenomenal franchise, a great fan base, great stadium, great place to go to a game. Uh, Could things have been more chaotic than they were last year for the Denver Broncos? Um, it would, you would have to be a very creative person to convince me that there was some way that it could have been worse than it was in 2022. Um, you know, to kind of go back to your original part, where, where the Broncos are right now is, is mired in a seven year malaise. They have not made the playoffs since winning Super Bowl 50 after the 2015 season. Um, they've had six straight losing records. It is quite simply the worst stretch since the Broncos became an NFL franchise. Um, and last year was sort of the, you know, the, the culmination of it all, right? Um, these high expectations after the acquisition of Russell Wilson um, turned into a nightmare. And, and it's funny enough, you mentioned the Colts. My, my colleague, Zach Kiefer, and I always talk about that Thursday night game between those two teams yeah. being sort of like the micro, microcosm for both teams last year. That's where the Broncos are right now, and that's the work ahead of Sean Payton. You were around Wilson last year for the first time, I'm assuming, around him for the first time on a regular basis last year. For those of us here in, you know, uh, southwest Ohio, uh, Russell Wilson was born here, but that's about the only connection this town seems to have with Russell Wilson. What was your impression of him last year? Yeah, that's a good, good, great question. Um, You know, I think for me – you know, Russell Wilson came into Denver um, feeling he had a lot to prove, right? I mean, there was so much talk when he left Seattle about 
what he actually wanted for the second chapter of his career. And he, and he kind of noted some of those things in terms of, you know, obviously the winning w w was a big part of it, but it was clear that he wanted to be a bigger part of the equation in doing so. And the Broncos, I think, to a fault, uh, embraced that in a way in which, uh, you know, it was the Russell Wilson show last year. Uh, from the moment he, he got here in March, uh, everything was catered toward him in a way that I think put um, – undue undue burden, undue pressure on what he needed to provide instead of, um, you know, really kind of building the whole thing in sort of a holistic way. Um, it, it was just from the very start, kind of an odd, an odd pairing between he and Nathaniel Hackett. Um, and it was just a situation where as the season went on, you could, you could quickly see that there, there just was not a clear direction for his, for how he was going to be used in Denver. And, and so I think when they, when the season ended and the coaching search began uh, for this new ownership group, it was very clearly like, we need to hire a personality, a head coach who is going to run the whole thing, that there's not going to be a question as to who is in charge, um, you know, of the franchise, of the football side. And, and that's what they believe they have in Sean Payton, but it's still going to be very important, um, you know, with, with Russell Wilson and with, with the, the money he's owed and everything like that, it, it is, it's very important that they make it work with him, and it's on him uh, as much as it is on Sean Payton to make that happen. You know, there seemed to be uh, just so much noise, and of course you, you, you don't read much about it un until later oftentimes, uh, not necessarily in this case, but I mean the whole thing with, you know, Russell Wilson having a guy that's kind of his coach, it has an office inside of the facility and all this kind of thing going on. Um, do, do you think that Wilson has something left in the tank? Or do you think this was just the start of, uh, oh boy, uh, the start of something where, you know, father time is catching up? Yeah, you know, obviously when, when you're looking at, uh, you know, a person's career, um, you know, recent data points are important, right? Because that, you know, that's the thing that you have most, most recently available to you. But I think even going back to, to 2021 for parts of that season when he had 25 touchdowns and only six interceptions, um, you know, had the fifth best passer rating in the NFL, um, despite, you know, having the injuries, I think it's it's one of those situations where he still does have it. And, and even last year, there were, you know, there were stretches where you saw, you know, him still having the arm talent toward the end of the year, you know, finally realizing that he needed to, to use his legs as, as a more, um, you know, dynamic part of, of his skill set. Uh, I, I don't think that he is, he's kind of over the cliff athletically or, or talent wise at this point. Um, but there is, there's a lot of things that he has to clean up that just got really out of whack last year. His, you know, his footwork, his, his navigation um, of the pocket at times just seemed to be, to be lost. And so th there is some rebuilding uh, with him that has to be done this year um, in, in order for him to improve. But I really do think that kind of getting back to his, you know, his foundation, you know, kind of getting rid of this idea that, you know, Russ is going to cook and he's going to be the guy that, that is, is the, the focal point of this offense – um, I, I think that's where a, a change will certainly help him. Okay. Uh, Peyton walks in the door, uh, had tremendous success, including a Super Bowl uh, win in New Orleans. He's been out a little while, uh, and now he's back. Um, what kind of impact, if any, have you seen just since he walked in the door the first time? Yeah, it's been pretty pronounced. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just give you sort of one example is that the Broncos began their off-season program, their voluntary off-season program on Tuesday. Typically what that comes with here in, in Denver is, you know, it, it was always Peyton Manning talking that first day of voluntary uh, workouts when he was here, you know, star players coming to the podium, the, you know, the coach speaking. And then throughout that, you know, phase one, phase two, 
Um, you know, there was more, more media availability. Sean Payton has kind of like cut all of that off, right? If it's not required by the NFL and the NFLPA in terms of their collective bargaining with media, he's not, he's not having players do it. Uh, that, that included free agents who signed last month. Um, you know, no, no big glitzy press conferences for them. He is very much, um, you know, he's called it, we want to be anonymous donors is the term that he's used, like working behind the scenes, but very much not having, you know, this sort of hype train behind any of it It has been sort of his philosophy, which is different. Now, whether that, whether that translates to anything in the fall, we'll see, but, but that is a way in which he has just said that, what what has been working for the last seven years uh, has to change, and and that's just that's just one part of it. For the upcoming draft, what needs to be addressed for the Broncos? Well, the challenge is that they only have five picks to do it, and none of them in the first two rounds. Yeah. Um, you know that that's what you that's what you have when you um, you know trade a, a combined three first round picks and three second round picks for a coach and quarterback combo. That that better work because again, they have set themselves back from a draft perspective. Um, didn't have a first or second round pick last year, um, won't have a first or second round pick this year, won't have a second rounder next year. Um, so they really need to, they really need to make hay. I think for them, a big focus is the front seven. They traded Bradley Chubb away to Miami uh, midway through last year. That pick ultimately is the one that they used to then uh, get Sean Payton away from New Orleans, get his rights from the Saints. Um, and so they, they still haven't really replaced him. Randy Gregory, their big splash for agent signing from the Cowboys last March, uh, had a really rough first year in Denver, only played six games, continuous injuries. He's had injury problems throughout his career. So I think that outside linebacker position in a division where you're trying to get after Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, that that's where I'd really like to see Denver uh, add uh, quite a bit. And and then, uh, you know, perhaps another running back, Javante Williams, talented guy uh, out of North Carolina who they drafted in the second round two years ago, had a major knee injury last October that will have him probably not ready for the start of the year. So I'd like to see them kind of have another guy in Sean Payton's offense that they can use at that position as well. You know better than anybody, and in all the years I was broadcasting in the NFL, uh, just the very name and the very presence, whether it was working for the franchise, uh, running the franchise, very early on after he retired, just coming to games, John Elway. Now all of a sudden, John Elway is out no longer uh, with the franchise. Is that good? Is that bad? Does it not really matter? Well, you know, so, so John Elway, yeah, he, he last year served as, a, as kind of a, a consultant uh, working with this sort of new ownership group that was taken over and, um, you know, kind of trying to help show them just some things uh, institutionally with the franchise and things like that. Wasn't a, a major role. And, and then the year before that in 2021, that is when he had stepped down from his GM role, mm-hmm. kind of took a, an overseer role above, above George Payton. But even then, I think, was somewhat limited. So this has kind of been going this direction for John Elway for a couple of years. I think, you know, I think ultimately he's, to your point, kind of always going to be around. You know, this next month is the 30th anniversary of the trade with the Colts that, that brought him to Denver in 1983. Um, he, he, is, he is the most revered athlete in Denver of all time. Um, you know, Nikola Jokic could win a couple more MVPs and, a, and an NBA championship for the Nuggets. And and I think he'd still have a hard time unseating John Elway as that guy in this region. Um, but I think ultimately, um, look, this is a new ownership that that is kind of given everything right now to Sean Payton. That he, he is he is the, the voice. He is the guy leading the charge in most ways on the football side. So I think kind of clearing that out and, and, and not having any sort of doubt as to who is running uh, everything right now is is one direction that they 
that they wanted to go. But I think John Elway will continue to be, you know, a part of this franchise, uh, even if not in an official capacity, um, you know, a guy that's just sort of, um, you know, kind of always around, has a presence in, in a lot of ways, similar to how Peyton Manning still does uh, with the Broncos. He still lives here, um, doesn't have a formal role, role with the organization, but uh, is, is very much kind of a part, a part of it still. Well, uh, we love uh, dogs on the program, and yours sounds like uh, he or she needs to get out and, uh, and do some business. Sorry. That, that no, no. I love, we love, we love dogs. <laughs> we have all kinds of dogs on the program. I got a whole bunch of them at home. Uh, Nick, we thank Thanks. you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Happy, happy to be here. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Alrighty. Very, very kind uh, for him to join us here today. I, I got to tell you, fellas, he's, uh, you, you guys are getting lit up in this chat. Yeah, up and down. Did you, did you block someone else? Leif Erickson. What? That's one. AJ and, and Leif are two of our, our most hardcore viewers. And Casey, you're over there blocking people out? Just for five minutes. Just for five minutes. Guys, I have nothing to do with this. <laughs> I was. Don't uh, shoot the messenger here. It, it doesn't matter because Chatterbox Sports just took away my moderation, so... I no Ooh, longer have There the is a mutiny occurring. And with that in mind, Ham and Eggers, take it away, boys. We got Tracy Jones coming up in a minute. All right. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. <laughs> oh, man. The Tracy Jones Report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. There is also a new premium alkaline water out. It's Pawnee. And Casey, you did something last night with Pawnee Water. I did. Um, so I let me set the stage here. I was playing golf last night, and I checked my phone after uh, finishing up one of the holes, and I saw a billion texts from the Chatterbox Sports Group, and I saw Casey. I saw his face on a video. And what was that video, Casey? Well, I took some Pawnee Water home because I wanted to see if it truly was the best tasting water in the world. And my mother has some uh, pH testers. And it, according to Pawnee, it is over eight, which is supposed to be very healthy. And it's got plenty of alkaline water in it. And so we did the test and I filmed the whole thing, sent it to the group, our chatterbox group chat. And it actually passed with flying colors, guys, it truly is the best tasting water in the world. Scientifically truly. proven. Scientifically and proven. it's made right here in Hamilton, Ohio. It uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that, as Casey said, is the best tasting water in the world. You can visit their website at pawneywater.com, P-A-H-H-N-I, water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com 
to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Drink Pawnee Water, get your coffee from UDF, get your technology solutions from Encore.tech, and bet with Betfred. And I think the chat, I think uh, the, the chat's just been all over the place. So uh, I've quickly, just in a, a span of less than an hour, become the public enemy number one in, our, in the chat. I guess that's what happens when power gets to your head. I got to tell you, I mean, I, I'm just sitting here wondering what the hell is going on. I'm trying to conduct two interviews. Got to be honest, two of the better interviews we've done in a while. Uh, you know, with Jake and then with Nick. And you two guys, like I said, are over there like two 14-year-old girls. Um, there's chaos on here. There is chaos. So I want to make sure we are... What does that mean, M-O-D, Leaf? Mod? Uh, yes, so, what does that mean? So in our chat, we have moderators that kind of monitor the chat. and Is that you? I, I was a moderator. No, were you the moderator? No, I was not the moderator. But were you the moderator who blocked AJ and Leaf Erickson? Yay or nay? Yes. To, Yes. What? Yes, I was the the moderator that banned them both. But well, I mean, you are getting destroyed on here. Leaf is saying he's back. North America is not big enough for both Casey and myself. A Viking never forgets or forgives. Boy, you are. I mean, you know. Speaking of Vikings, getting uh, killed. Yes. Yeah, speaking of Vikings. Speaking of Vikings, our good friend Darren Horn. Uh, yes. Got announced today. I mean, we know that he was going to, um, like, we knew that he, he got his contract extension. Yeah. But Jeff Goodman tweeted out about an hour ago, uh, he's the highest paid coach in the horizon, which we right. knew. Uh, his base salary is $544,000, and his assistant pool uh, increased significantly. So good news all around for NKU. Darren Horn and the, the basketball program over there in Highland Heights. He did a great job. Yeah. Continues to do a great job. I, I mean, I – you can't give higher praise about a coach. Uh, if you're a parent, you cannot uh, utter higher praise than saying about a coach, I would be very comfortable and very grateful sending my son and or daughter to play for that person. And I would certainly send my son or daughter, if they were good enough to play basketball, to play for Coach Horn. So congratulations to him. Um, all right, we got 10 minutes before Tracy comes on. We got to get to our NBA Eastern Conference block. Yep. Are we ready to go? We are ready to go. All right, let's pull it up. And the matchups, because we picked our opening round winners in the West yesterday. We, uh, all of us went with, if I'm remembering off the top of my head, all of us went with Denver. All of us went with Golden State, correct? Yep. All of us went with Phoenix, correct? Correct. And the only, uh, you and I, Casey, were both on the Lakers. Paul took Memphis. The yep, the Grizzlies. Okay, so now we go to um, the East. And we're still waiting on, you know, a final team uh, to get in. But we just went ahead and said we thought the number one seed 
uh, in the West. Denver would win that opening round, whoever it is they're going to play. And the number one seed in the East is Milwaukee. So whoever wins that game tomorrow night um, will play Milwaukee. So you've gotten so worked up over there about banning people from the show that it looks like a color chart up here on the screen trying to pull up this um, bracket hmm. bracket we got it yeah. i think the most intriguing storyline to me on the east side is what are the 76ers going to do here the what what are the sixers doing well you you know my thought on this i don't think any team with james harden is ever going to win a championship why is that i just i he's been on too many good teams for too long some might say the same thing about Chris Paul. Oh, I yeah. What's the difference between those two guys? Yeah. Harden's been on great teams. Success-wise, yeah. They can't get anywhere. All right, let's start. Bucks against whoever it is they play. Uh, are we all in agreement? Giannis and the Bucks? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Give me... Oh, do we do we want to go to individually or? Well, I just want to ask you guys: Is there any series that for you in the East in the opening round jumps off the map? Yeah, Sixers and the Nets to me. I, I think that's. I mean, yeah, you have the star power, I guess, down there with the Celtics and the Hawks, Trey Young, everything. The Knicks being in the playoffs is always a good storyline for the NBA. Knicks playing the Cavs. I don't know if that really moves too much of the needle nationally. I, the Knicks do. The Knicks do, but it's not like the Knicks are playing the Celtics. It's not like the Knicks are playing the 76ers. Um, the Bucks look like they could roll here into the at least into the finals, into the Eastern Conference finals. Um, but I really just want to see what happens here with the 76ers. I really do. Because for as many years as the Sixers have been good, as many years as they've had a top three seed in the East or a top five seed in the East. They just never, ever get it done. They never get it done. Something always happens. Something always gets in the way. Something happens. They don't get it done. I don't know if this is the year that they get it done, but look, if you're going to trust the process and that's what it always was for years and years and years with the 76ers, trust the process, trust the process. The process has played itself out and now they might just be a middling Eastern conference team. Casey, any series you like? Well, I'm actually going to go with the Cavs versus the Knicks yeah. because I think every other game is, I don't know, just boring. Like, I expect the 76ers to win. I expect the Celtics to win. And I expect the Bucks to win. So, I don't know. I, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really um, feeling any of those games in terms of what's going to be a good game, right? I'm not sure about the Knicks and the Cavs game. I think that's probably the two, the best matchup in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, four or fives are normally really good. But it's not a like you like Paul said. It's not a needle mover. It's not like no. there's big names. But the Cavs, at least in this area, I mean, I don't know if we still have some some Cavs fans after LeBron left. But I really think the Cavs kind of came out of nowhere this season, and they played really well. I mean, they were right there for most of the season. Um, 
So that's the team I'm – that's the game I'm looking at in the Eastern Conference. I think the West is just way more entertaining yeah. at the moment than, than the East because I think maybe next – after this round, the first round, the next round will be a lot more entertaining. But as of right now, as it stands, I'm, I'm – Casey's out. I'm out on the East side. I'm with you on Cleveland. Uh, th- th- this is one of those classic matchups of what one team does well – going against the other team and what they do well. Cleveland is number one in the NBA in fewest points per per possession allowed. Number one. They are an outstanding defensive team. Cleveland is. And they have two, they have two monsters in the middle that can block shots. They have guys that defend the rim as good as anybody in a league. The Knicks, on the other hand, Love to challenge the rim. They love taking it to the hole. They score the third most points per, per possession in the NBA. So this is a classic matchup of uh, strength versus strength, at least at that end of the floor. Uh, so let's walk through our picks. Okay. And we're only doing this opening round. Yep. So we've all agreed we're going with Milwaukee. Yep. As a number one seed, doesn't matter who they play. Cleveland v. New York. Paul? Oh, I love it when the Knicks are good. But I hate picking against Love their them. coach. Tell you that. Love their coach. Thibodeau. Is he a leader of men? I like the guy. <laughs> He's a gamer. He's one in man. Chicago and in New York. Yes. That takes a special cat to win in Chicago and New York. I'm going to take the Knicks. All right, I'm taking the Cavs. Casey? I'm taking the Cavs, too. All okay. Right. Sixers v. Nets. Casey? I'm going with Joel Embiid and James Harden. I think they get it done. Paul? I'm going to take the Sixers. I want the Sixers to win this, and I have no interest in the Nets winning this. This is more of a heart pick than a head pick. Give me the Sixers. Now, why would you say, I'm curious, why would you say it's more of a heart pick than a, a head pick? Because the Sixers had a far better regular season. Than oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's probably both. I'm just saying I want the Sixers to why win. Why do you want the Sixers to win? Because I, I just think, like, I have a lot of friends from, from over there and, and a lot of friends that are massive 76ers fans. And uh, I've kind of casually followed them for a little while. And uh, this whole process thing has been extremely interesting to me since the day they drafted Joel Embiid. Yep. And uh, Boy, what a player. I'm not like a fan of the 76ers. No, but what but a player. Yeah, yeah. God. I think he's a character. Some people love him. Some people hate him. Uh, I just would like to see the Sixers – have some fulfillment here in this whole process that they've put on. So I'm going to take the Sixers, and then in the last series, I'm going to take the Celtics. You taking the Celtics too, Casey? I am going to take the Celtics. Okay, as well. I'll take the Celtics, and I will take the Sixers as well. So I think the only place where we disagree here, uh, Paul, you're going with the Knicks. Casey and I are with the yep. Cavs. Yeah. All right, so let's Cleveland. Let's do this. Remember back in? Uh, you got any thoughts on Cleveland, Tom? Just in general, any thoughts on Cleveland? Tell you what, they are our brethren. 
in the Buckeyes, Jay. Speaking of the Buckeyes, Jay, tomorrow, I'm really excited tomorrow because um, we're going to have Dave Biddle on with us to talk about Ohio State football. The the, uh, Mighty Buckeyes have their spring game Saturday in Columbus. And... You know, look, they got a lot going on, figuring out who's going to be the quarterback, offensive line. They're going to have a bunch of first-round draft picks all over the place going to the NFL. But in the last six days, have you seen what they have done on the recruiting trail? I mean, it's, it's like almost unbelievable what they have done in the last week. They've signed like four, five-star guys, three, four-star guys. I mean, just everywhere. They signed two of the top five wide receivers in the country. That is without a doubt become wide receiver you. I mean, end of story. If you want to be a great wide receiver and take your chances of getting better, Brian Hartline, (coughs) Ohio State, that's where you're going. They get a four-star quarterback. They get the best linebacker in the state of Texas. I mean, they got guys coming in everywhere. And they aren't even done yet. Uh, So we're going to talk a little bit about that, what they got going on. Uh, And tomorrow, we're we're talking to who from the NFL? We have Jay Morrison. We have Jay, and then we have have Matt Lane. We've had him on the show. Matt Lane to talk about the Chiefs. Yep. Right? Yep. All right, so we got a lot going on. Um, wonder wonder if Tracy has any thoughts on Casey's dictatorship. Now, uh, Tracy, you were not with us. First of all, Tracy, uh, good morning. Nice to see you. How you guys doing? Good. How you doing? Well, you look like you're like in a a cave. You know, when you, when when you're with us in California and it's bright and sunny, you've got all these open windows and natural light. I mean, you couldn't ask for a more Southern California-like day than we're having here today. And yet you look like you're in a bunker. You think it's dark? Do I it think dark. it's dark? I know it's dark. It is? Well, here, one second. Let me turn on the light. Hold on. No, no, no. Don't you have any natural light in that place of yours? <sighs> is that better? No, where is the natural light? It's sunny and 78 <laughs> degrees today here. <laughs> You know what? That was so dark when I did that show in Los Angeles. I have, I'm not very good with the lighting. Let, let's just admit that. I'm horrible. So I should have had it face like toward the windows or I, I should have just reversed it. And I saw it. It was terrible. And I apologize again for like the fifth time in seven months. So yeah. Hey, notice how I'm wearing my expo. Jersey, yeah, well, we right? haven't seen that before. Yeah, I was getting ready to comment on that, too. So go ahead. Once an expo, always <laughs> an expo. I mean, it is incredible. I'll wear this. I only wear this probably four times a week. You know, if I go out to a nice restaurant or something, it's amazing, guys, how many times people come up to you and say, Trace, boy, you did a great job with the expos. I remember you number 24 with the expos. They don't talk about Reigns or Hubie Brooks or Tim Wallach. They talk about number 24, Tracy Jones. It's really incredible. But the reason I'm wearing this, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about this, Tom, yeah. is they need a team. Yeah. They need an expansion team. And you know who that team is? It's the team that's 12-0 and can't I get agree. fans. It's the Rays. They no have got to move the 
they have got to move the Rays out, and I think Montreal's a, a good place to go. I'm Don't with you, think? you 100%. Yeah. The two franchises that, that should move tomorrow mm-hmm. are the Rays and the A's. Without a doubt. I mean, I could not believe, and I told you this, when I took that uh, train trip to Los Angeles, right, yeah. from Cincinnati to Los Angeles, and we drove by that ballpark. That is a pit. Oakland is a pit. It is a terrible place, but I agree with you. I think I think Oakland should move to Las Vegas. And three days ago, I had a dream that you were broadcasting for the expansion Las Vegas Gamblers. Wow. Just, How about that? I'm just telling you, a lot of times I have these dreams <laughs> and they come true. I had a dream that I became a Major League Baseball player. That happened. Uh, that I became financially independent. That happened. That I became this media star. That happened. So I'm just saying, Tom, would you move and broadcast the Las Vegas Gamblers and you could bring that degenerate gambler, Casey, with you as your producer? Paul, you're well, staying home. Look, uh, I would only take that gig if you would be the color analyst alongside of me on the television side. Could you imagine Tracy Jones? Think about this for a minute now. I mean, I, I don't want to get in hot water with Danae, but could you imagine Tracy Jones on television every night in Las Vegas? Well, I could see running the streets with you. It'd be Viva Las Vegas. We'd grow those handlebar uh, yep. sideburns, our leisure suit. Tom, we could run the streets together. You can get rid of Polly. I'll get rid of Danae, and we'll have one hell of a time. In Las Vegas. Well, you, you and I would be a lot like, you and I would be a lot like, say, Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. out there. You know what I mean? So who's the black guy? Well, that's me. Because I'm, I'm, <laughs> okay. you know, I'm Sammy Davis because, you know, Frank was a bigger guy, broader guy. Sammy, little yeah. guy. I'm a little guy. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we would be like the Rat Pack out there, right? It, it, it would be a lot. Vegas is one of my favorite places to go. I usually go probably two times. A year I stayed downtown I stayed on the strip but Tom that place is really expensive now I mean you used to go and get you know double I mean I've been going there for a long time double lobster tail and a steak for like $8.99 you know those days I, I'm telling you I'm not kidding you back in the old old days Tom I'm 62 years old I know I look 60 but I've been around a little bit but those prices in Vegas I mean it, they really really gouge you so I don't like to be gambling. And I don't gamble anymore like I used to. Not that there's anything wrong with gambling. Well, you just wore out Casey and Paul all fall and all winter about gambling. And, and, and now you're saying there's nothing wrong with gambling. Which is it? Well, everything in moderation. I was, I was betting when I was playing ball so much a hand. The, the pit boss came to me and said, hey, listen, we're going to comp you your room, one of those type of things. That's how much money I was losing. And and I tell you, it got to be so bad that I said, I got it. I, I can't continue to do this. I can't, you know, be betting $300, $400 a hand. That's just not in my personality. Right. I, I, you know, so I kind of toned it down a little bit. And now, Tom, you know, I don't know when the last time you've been to Vegas, they really don't even give you the drinks they used to. The, the I have not been there. Away. I have not been there in a while. Uh, it has been a number of years since I have been out there. So I can't. Somebody in the chat said uh, 
that we would be more like Penn and Teller or Siegfried and Roy. Yes. Yeah. Siegfried Roy, the one guy Roy, I think, got attacked by one of his tigers. So that's yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you yeah. know, we, we we got some guys that are now. Now I want to get into something with you real quick because it's dominated a show. Here I am trying to keep this show focused on the Reds. Then we shifted gears and had a guy to bring us up to date on the Indianapolis Colts. We talked mm -hmm. about the NBA playoffs. We talked about the Denver Broncos, and now we're joined by you. But in the middle of all of this, okay, uh, in the chat, somebody had made a comment about Casey and not being <laughs> a good athlete or something like that to a certain right. extent, right? Okay, or football right. or whatever. Well, Casey made the comment to the person who watches every single day, every day, like clockwork. Casey is the moderator on who's allowed in the chat and who's not allowed in the chat. And he said to this guy in writing on the chat, well, let me show you how much of a good blocker I really am. And he blocked the dude from being in the chat. So basically, and he's done it now to two guys in the last 30 minutes, okay? So this is censorship 101. Right, which I'm the guy that's going to take the scuds for that, not Casey. Yeah. What are your thoughts of Casey doing this? I think it's really, really, I think it's really sad. But that's part of that whole millennial generation X, very thin skin. You know, Casey, you can never be a professional athlete and have people heckle you because you would do like Rendon did and go up in the stands wanting to fight every single person. I mean, just, just. Can you imagine if I blocked every person that didn't like me? Oh, boy. Or didn't take phone calls? I mean, I get no phone calls or no email. I mean, you should see some of the emails that I receive. Nasty. Now, but does it bother me? I just go like this. Casey, what? Just roll right off your back. But for you to be so sensitive, come on, buddy. You, you don't like, wait till your wife starts jumping your oh, ass. Oh, he has no idea what he's in for, Tracy. Oh, he has no idea. But you got to let that stuff go. You really do. Yeah, to clarify, I only put him in timeout. I, I put him in timeout, which is also a very Gen C thing to do. I put him in the corner. He disrespected okay. me. I'm glad. Hold on. Okay, but Hold here's on. the ironic part of that whole thing, if I may jump in here really quick. Because you're the one that just said Gen Z. Okay? You put a guy in timeout. Right? Gen Z, you can't put a guy in timeout. You don't want to humiliate anybody in front of their peers. You don't want to put little Johnny in the corner over there and make him uh, feel, uh, you know, you yeah. want to make sure you find a safe space for him. Casey? Well, I guess I'm a millennial then. I don't know. Okay. I, I Here's the thing. Now, let me give you some more advice. When you get, when you guys finally have a kid, right? and you're happy and you, you, you do the whole kid thing. When your kid acts up, what you do is you don't give them a timeout. You do what my dad did. And that is go get the belt trace and you take it and you start the whipping. Not, not too hard, just a nice little pat. Don't, you don't have to hurt the kid. No. And I'm telling you, that kid no, will turn out that. better than giving him a timeout. And, Tom, 
you got to you got to be honest here. Did how did Marty discipline you? Well, look, I I went to a school. I don't know if you did or not. Uh, I went to a school where if you got in trouble, you actually got swats by the principal in a public yeah. school. This wasn't a private school. Can you imagine running that idea by parents today? They would look I, at you I, like you should be lined up and shot. And so what and we used I, to have to do was, is I would get detentions, okay? So say you're playing right. on whatever sports team you're playing on in the fall or basketball in the winter, okay? And I'd get, you know, you, you could turn in three detentions for one SWAT. So if you didn't want to be late to practice, a detention meant you had to stick around for like an hour and just some mindless sitting in a room, right? What do you learn from that? Nothing right? But it meant you wouldn't be at practice on time. So you could turn three detentions into a SWAT. So you'd walk in the principal's office and he'd say, all right, grab your ankles. Well, Pow. see, we probably disagree. So, so, okay. So the question, and I'm not suggesting we, pr we bring that back because I'm not so sure at the end of the day that, that that's the answer either. I'm not so sure, but I'm just saying, I grew up in that generation just like you did. Okay. Did you did you ever get a SWAT? You don't didn't answer oh, that. Oh, many did of them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Here's the deal. I got a SWAT, honest to God, and to this day, it bothers me. I don't think the 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 principal. I got it by the principal. When you're a first grader, and get three SWATs with the paddle, I think is wrong. And I'm all for discipline, but my dad will discipline me. My mom will discipline. Discipline me. Yeah, yeah. I will discipline my kid. The principal, his name was Mr. Good. It still bothers me to this day. Took me and paddled me three times when it wasn't even me and it wasn't even my fault and paddled me. I cried all the way home. Yeah. All the way home. It was yeah. really traumatic. I didn't get another SWAT until the seventh grade when I got in trouble for fighting. Imagine that. And I got swatted by Mr. Degner. Who I think was very shaky. He was one of those guys that would wash, watch the kids shower through the. Yeah, I don't want to get into it. But he was very, he was very, very creepy, and he gave me a SWAT. I don't like other people no, discipline my kid. So I think that swatting thing is wrong. I'm with you. I'm with you all the way on that. All right. Um, but anyway, Casey, listen. I mean, we're we're trying to accumulate viewers here. And accumulate a, 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 a venue of free expression. We're not like most of your friends who, you know, hey, if you agree with them, talk all you want. You don't agree with them, shut her down. We are an open forum here. We can't be blocking people's opinion. Casey, here's what you can become. You can be the Elon Musk of Chatterbox, <laughs> all inclusive, and you don't have to fork out forty-four billion. But yeah, you really need to. Does Paulie get upset when people criticize him? Because when I run into people on the street, they're always taking shots at Paulie. Me, Paulie, or you're Paulie? Uh, no, you're, sure he's talking about Paul. you. I think he's talking <laughs> about you. I'm not talking about my wife. Well, so no. I. I <laughs> I always just want to make sure. No, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm 
I'm doing all right. Can, can I ask you something? Can I just, Tom, can yeah, I interject sure. here? Yes. Do you guys ever give an opinion? I'm not talking about you, Tom. I'm talking about Casey and Paul. Can I please get an opinion? I'm sorry. You, you remind me of my old partner would sit back and I would take all the arrows and he would just not even give an opinion. What, so what do you want? To, what do you want me to give an opinion on? I'll give you an opinion. Just give it on anything. Just give it on spanking. Um, I don't know. Just Antifa. G give it. Give an opinion on something. <laughs> California. California. Do you know that out of a hundred thousand dollars? Listen to this, Tom. Take home pay. California. You make a hundred thousand dollars. You know what the take home pay is? I would guess. 46, let me guess. So I was getting ready to say about forty six, forty seven thousand. Forty six six. Yep. How are you supposed to do it there? Well, just, I, I tell the story all the time. Uh, I don't know if you ever met this guy. You remember the former Major League player, Cookie Rojas, right? You remember him? Oh, right? second baseman for the Royals. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and then a base, great baseball guy for a long time. Yeah. Heck of a player, stayed on as a coach, yep. manager, blah, blah, blah. His son, uh, Victor Rojas, uh, we hired him in Arizona uh, to uh, broadcast for us when I was out there with the Diamondbacks. And he grew up, he, Victor, in Orange County in Southern California. His dad, as he was growing up, was working for the Angels forever. Mm -hmm. This guy's lifetime goal. I mean, all of us, if you said, okay, what's the one dream job, right? His dream job was to be the announcer for the California Anaheim Angels, right? Yeah. That's all yeah. he wanted to do. So he left Arizona became a TV voice of the Texas Rangers for a number of years, and then gets offered the job to be the TV voice of the Anaheim Angels. So he picked up his family, and he's got the dream job of his life. He is so just overwhelmed with joy and anticipation of taking this job. And I am not, I am not embellishing this at all. Right. He gets there. And based on what you just said, he was there for five years. And he said, I am taking my family and I am running back to Texas as fast as I can. He left his dream job because of what you just said. Basically, 54 cents of every dollar that he earned was being handed away. Well, and, and see, where he was broadcasting, Anaheim, that's a pretty good area, right? It's because a great area. Newport Beach. It's right. not like the Dodgers, right? Because you've got a long ways to go to get to the ballpark. So for him to say that, it must have just been a terrible experience. And we've talked about California. You guys are not missing anything. I know I go there all the time for family. But every time I go there, oh, I thought about you guys and I should have got tape on it. I went to Figueroa and 69th Street in South Central LA Ooh. to drop off one of our workers. Honest to God, I thought of you guys and I, I, I should have videotaped it. They have, I, not joking, hookers lined up on Figueroa and, and Gage. It was really six, uh, Figueroa and Gage and hookers lined up patrolling the streets and the pimps are driving around the block. 
and through like the middle of the lane. You know how you've got two sides, Tom, in a road? They're driving the middle, just blasting it. I could not believe it. I saw a guy get out with a maroon uh, suit with a top hat. I haven't seen that type of pimp since Huggy Bear. Remember Huggy Bear from Starsky and Hutch? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what the guy looked like. It was, I was just in awe that this could be allowed. Not not that I see, I've seen it before, but that it's allowed now. There's not a problem. The girls are barely wearing nothing. They're in their bathing suits and high heels. It was one of the most shocking scenes that I have seen, that I've seen in a long, long time. I just could not believe it that this was allowed in, in, in a, a big time city. It's disgusting. Time city. No doubt. No doubt. And sad, the heartbreak of that whole, that whole story. Um, yeah. All right. I want to shift gears before we let you get out of here today. I asked you this the other day, but I got to tell you, Tracy, I mean, I made the comment in the open today about wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. This whole thing with the Reds, right? Every night, it's the same story. Offense gives you just enough to, to get a lead, kind of hang in there. Here comes a bullpen. You lose again. Now, I asked, and it happened again last night uh, in Atlanta. Yep, they play the Phillies did. tonight. Okay, here's the thing. I asked, and we ran a sound clip from, um, from David Bell yesterday uh, and basically his comments, which, again, you talk about wash, rinse, repeat. Same thing over and over. Boy, I'm really proud of our guys. They really battle and they hang in there. And sooner or later, it's going to swing our way. Is that what players today want to hear? Or do they want to hear somebody say, you know what? Yeah, we're battling. Yeah, we're hanging in there. Yeah, we're young. Yeah, we're maybe a little bit under-talented compared to, say, somebody like Atlanta. But how about mixing in and winning a game? I want to hear it in a clubhouse meeting. I don't want to. I don't want to see it through the media. I don't want a uh, Tyler O'Neill, right? He got blasted for not yes, hustling there in St. Louis, right? Yeah, I yeah. don't want it in the papers. That's okay. really important. But there is nothing wrong. <clears throat> excuse me. There's nothing wrong with having a, a meeting, a closed door, and say, "Listen, we're not playing well at all." You know, the bullpen has blown, what is it, six out of seven games, right? The, the Reds have had a lead, and the yep. bullpen comes in and blows the lead. You mean to tell me you don't have people in the minor leagues that can do a better job than what those guys are doing? They only have to pitch one inning and yep. get done, right? I mean, it just I just don't know. The Reds just keep struggling as an organization. Look at what Tampa Bay. We brought up Tampa Bay. They're 12-0. and 0. Go ahead, Tom. Talk to me about all those superstars they got on Tampa Bay. You know where it starts? In the draft. What I would do if I was a general manager, I would take the three best scouts, and maybe I've mentioned it to you. My dream job would be the general manager of the Reds, by the way. And I would get the three best scouts, and I would triple their pay. They would stay at first-class hotels. They would be treated like the star player, and I would have those guys look at players. I don't need 50 scouts. I don't need 13 analytic guys, right, and 13 coaches. I need scouts that bring in those good players, and obviously Tampa Bay has that. I mean, the well, proof is Well, the, the other thing, Tracy, and I'm curious to ask you because I have often said, look, at the end of the day, you know, most scouting departments are roughly the same size. Most roughly have the same budget. Some teams spend more money in Latin America than other teams. That's certainly true. Or down in the Dominican and the Caribbean, whatever it might be. But 
I think just as important, and you tell me, um, it might be right there neck and neck as to which one would be more important are the guys, once you draft them, that are in player development. Is that fair? Could not agree with you more. And that was going to be my next point, is they have awesome player development in Tampa Bay. They had a guy, I mention his name all the time, whether it's with you or, or, your, or your dad, is Jimmy Hoff. And he would run yep. that minor league system. He went to Tampa Bay, built that system up. Guys, we used to practice before a game in the summer in Tampa, if you can believe that. I mean, that's if we missed a cutoff, man, that was $3. If we missed a sign, it was $5. I one time didn't wear underwear to the ballpark. Honest to God, $3. He saw that. I don't know what he was looking at, but he fined me $3. What my point is, this was very disciplined. <laughs> this was very disciplined as far as an organization. All those guys knew how to bunt, knew how to steal, had good arms, and it was because of guys like Larry Barton Sr., Larry Barton Jr., yep. uh, uh, George Zura, uh, 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 Bennett. Gene Bennett. All yep. those guys. I mean, you draft guys like a Barry Larkin like a Kurt Stillwell, a Tracy Jones, an Eric Davis, a Cal Daniels, a Paul O'Neill, myself, if I didn't, Lenny Harris, Lloyd. I mean, you just keep going on and on. Dibble, you know, all these guys. And then you have a pretty good organization. And then you win the World Series in 1990. But, but it does, Tom, you're exactly right. Scouting and player development. And have those guys teaching you the game down in the minors. Give me an example besides just things like bunning, or some of the disciplinary stuff. But, but for example, um, I, I, I think the guy's name in the Reds organization they had for a long time has been a, a kind of pitching guru at the very low levels. I think his name was Tom Brown, if I'm not mistaken. I hope I'm not, not screwing that up. But, but, but I only bring it up because walk me through the difference between a really good player development guy at, say, single A, right? High A as opposed to a guy who's not so good. I don't mean naming names, but what's an area where a really good player development guy in a good player development system could do for a player, talents being equal, that plays for franchise A versus franchise B? I think it's all about the fundamentals. I mean, I think if you don't do the job, you don't play. At least it was that way with the Reds. Give you an example. You get 10 swings, right? You get 10 swings, you get two bunts and 10 swings before the game batting practice. But what you do in the first couple of swings is you have get them over to third base and get them in, right? This is going through your mind. If you don't do that, you keep doing it until you get it done. So if you don't get your bunts down and you don't get them over, get them in, you might only have two swings, right? Because you had to do the routine things. I mean, those are the discipline things that you've got to have. I think even if you're a big league ball player, you see big leaguers today. I mean, not knowing how to do a rundown, right? The rundown, missing cutoff guys. They don't take infield. Do you know Pete Rose had a rule? This was a Reds rule. If you didn't take infield before the game, you didn't play. So you had to take infield. You're working on things, right? Before Now they don't do infield, right? That's Why did that go away? I'm kind of curious. I used to love watching it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think the players liked it. Because the players after batting practice just wanted to sit around, 
you know, drink a couple of Coca-Colas, have some potato chips, watch TV. They didn't want to get ready again to go out and take info. Of course, I'm guessing, but the players didn't like it. But I think that's something that I think was useful. I do. I'm probably in the minority with no, that. No, 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 no. I'm with you. And, and it was one of my favorite things. I thought it was one of the things that really got you interested in baseball was watching it in field. I just thought it was so I cool too. to watch it every day. It was great. <laughs> All right, really Tracer, cool. well, have a great weekend. I'm sure you got big plans. You traveling or anything, or are you just laying low in the Commonwealth? I'm just going to lay low, probably have a, a ribeye and a couple of cocktails and just sit outside my balcony and look at all you peasants out there. Yeah, it'll be a good weekend. You guys have a good weekend now. You take it easy. Tom, you have a good weekend. By the way, did you refer to my dad? Somebody in the chat before I let you go. Did you refer to my dad as a ham and egger on Brenneman and Jones on baseball? I, I did because we. he asked me who was a better broadcaster, a better interview, you or your dad. And I had to give it to you, Tom. And I just Thank thought you. that but because Marty had to work at it. You just had a natural talent, right? You, you you just have talent. Marty had to work at it like a ham and egg, right? He had to grind it out, had to work the tight. Now, not that Marty's bad. Marty's pretty good. And actually, if he works with me for another five years, I think he'll be able to surpass you and get better. But yeah, Marty's a ham and egg. All right. Okay. Just want to make sure that was it. Somebody was correct on that. Tracer, have a great weekend, my friend. Great having you with us today. See you, boys. Take care. See you, Tracy. There you go, boys. Tracer. The Tracer. Tracer. Boy, you know, Casey, are we going to come back here tomorrow and have peace back on off the bench? I just don't know if we'll ever see A.J. Worse back in here again. He it's, may have ended his chatterbox career. You know, as long as... Boy. As long as the chat respects me... No, I'm just kidding. I've been demoted. So there should be peace. They got what they want. No longer in power. Yes, Chad. I do do I do need to apologize to everyone in the chat for taking away their freedom. Hmm. So I'm sorry. Wow, an apology. Strong. Well, now look, for all of you in the chat that have been wearing him out. When a man looks you in the eyes, Casey just did, looking in the camera over there. When he looks you in the eye and he says, you know what? And you can tell his sincerity. Uh, when he says he's sorry, what are your two choices? Where are you going to be in a good place? Are you going to be in the place of, I'll never forgive and I'll never forget that no good SOB. And you walk around and you carry that on your conscience or on your shoulder, or on your back? Are you carrying that unforgiveness? Or are you going to say, okay, I got a little worked up. The guy was sincere in his apology. He meant it, and I forgive. I forgive. Now you can breathe. You have nothing weighing you down. You can move on through the rest of your day. Right? We're all good? We're all good. Happy place? We're Chat, all are good. we good? Before we tell you goodbye, are we good? Are we good?
forgive. <laughs> Why did I ask? <laughs> I mean, brutal. I mean, brutal. Maybe we forgive and don't forget. Another says we are not good. Now, USA veteran says you're good, Casey. Everett says not until AJ is back and they go to Sonic together. Mm. We'll leave it to the chat to decide if I've been forgiven or not. Well, I already clicked yes, 100%. We were going to do a cherry on top, but I think that your apology, Casey, is cherry on top, and we'll save the cherry on top for tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right, Jordan says, I'm good with Casey. Chad says, a beer and a handshake, and we're good. Mouse Cop says, nope. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, boy. Okay. All right, guys. Well, right. Uh, Casey, I certainly forgive you. Thank you, Tom. Absolutely. So, thank you for a job well done. Bumps in the road, but we come out on the other side. Of course. Like Lake Placid. Beautiful. On a cold winter morning. Just sheet of glass. We're good. Paul, you good? Fantastic. All right. We're Not good. Too picky, right? Not All too right. picky coming up. Not too picky coming up right now. We thank you for joining us. Big day tomorrow. A lot of football tomorrow. A lot of football tomorrow, including the Bengalis with Jay Morrison from The Athletic. Have a great Thursday. God bless everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.